Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. You enjoy listening to the radio as our kiddos make their way out to Kids Church? Think with me for a moment. What did you listen to on the way in this morning? Did you have it on FM or are you one of those weirdos that still listen to AM? Can I get an amen? Yes. I enjoy listening to talk radio sometimes too much and football games. I love listening to football. It drives my spouse crazy, but I enjoy it. But there's no such thing as a channel on AM, FM-ish. Can you find a radio station on AM, FM-ish? I don't even know what to call that. Um, Each frequency, though, you understand, obviously has a separate and distinct number and place where you find that. So when you're riding in the car, you're not going to listen to 1360 AM or K99 or, uh, you know, some of you renegades listen to 101.3 or Z95. You're not going to catch all of that, or you holy ones out there listen to Air One, and you know, you can't listen to all of it all at the same time. You get the picture. If you did, you'd probably go nuts, like riding in a car on vacation with seven children all at one time. It's just going to be a nutty time. Well, you might find yourself flipping back and forth between stations. Oh, this one's on the commercials. We go, like we hate commercials. We go to the other one, and back and forth, back and forth. Double-mindedness is what that is. We kind of finished up with that last week in the book of James. Out of 1 Kings chapter uh, 3 where Solomon prayed for wisdom, James says if you lack wisdom, pray and ask for wisdom. And when you do so, do so in faith, not as those who are double-minded. But when you continue with the story of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, you will find Solomon is very much a double-minded man. He's trying to serve multiple masters, and his heart is turned away from the Lord. And when that happens, his heart collapses as well as the kingdom. So if you have your Bible, please open to 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 8. If you would stand with me as I read in honor of the word of the Lord. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, uh, the abomination of the Ammonites. So did Solomon, what was, so Solomon, excuse me, so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, 
and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Let's pray together. Fathers, we have worshipped you this morning and just come before you, your throne of grace. We come with confidence, and the confidence is not in ourselves, but in Christ. Father, I pray, and as I pray, we thank you. I pray with thanksgiving that you are patient with us when we sin. Father, you are to be praised for your grace and mercy that you've given to us, provided for us through Jesus Christ, even when we are stubborn and slow and in sin. We are reminded that you sent Jesus to be the payment, the atonement for our sin. Father, you know our hearts in this room this morning. You know our hearts of those who are watching online. Father, you know the hearts that are on the verge of collapse due to sin. And Lord, we know from the promise of your word that you are the promise-keeping God. That by your grace, through faith, that heart on the verge of collapse can be made whole and new in Christ. So Father, I pray today is the day that they would look to you Look to your son in faith for the salvation and the forgiveness of sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. The old Solomon. We've been working our way through the Old Testament. If um, you're a guest with us today and um, you're popping in, we've been working our way. We started in Genesis. We're walking all the way to Malachi and we're somewhere here in the middle, but uh, we're on Solomon for now. And where we catch ourselves up is that uh, Israel is now on their third king after Saul and David. Uh, here comes Solomon, David's son. What we need to know is the background of working into chapter 11 and to really find the background of what Solomon is into and why he's in trouble, we need to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy is further back in the, toward the beginning of the Old Testament one of the books of the law. And if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 through 20, you will find there where God laid out the, the rules or the law for the king. Okay, so let me, let's just go back there for a second. Verse 14, God is going to give them, give Israel the land. They're going to possess it. And when they do, here's what Israel will say. Verse 14, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed, verse 15, set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire, listen, he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to turn to Egypt in order to require uh, many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. That's the law. That's the requirement. Now go back to 1 Kings chapter 11, and we'll just look at chapter 10 briefly for a moment. Now, what we're going to find is that Solomon has done exactly 
what the word of God said not to do for the king. Verse 14 of 1 Kings chapter 10. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, which came from the explorers and from the business merchants of the, uh, and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went to each into each shield. The dude is filthy rich. Okay, now go down to verse 26. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And then we hit chapter 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Do you get the picture? God's standard for the king was set long before Israel ever had a king. When that law was given in Deuteronomy, it's through Moses. Moses wasn't a king. He was the leader, but he was not the king of Israel. That doesn't happen until much, much later, generations later. In Proverbs, Solomon himself wrote, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. In order for that to happen, your heart's got to be turned toward God. And yet what we find is Solomon's heart is turning away from God. He had, in fact, amassed a great deal of wealth, Horses, chariots, gold, and wives. Some of us may look at Solomon here and say, wow, this dude's living the dream. But the reality is, it's a nightmare. Why? Listen again to Deuteronomy 17, verse 17. He shall not acquire many wives for himself. Why? Lest his heart turn away. That's the kicker. That's the big deal, that he would stop looking to the Lord for provision. He would stop looking to the Lord, and he would start looking in and around rather than to the Lord. Sometimes we feel like we got to go somewhere else, look somewhere else, listen to something else, someone else, to find the purposes of God, and if we just look, it's all here. It's all in his word, if we'll open our eyes and read it and open our hearts to receive it and let the word do its work and pierce our heart and let the Lord do his work in us. The temptation for Solomon, and the same is true for us, is that we will trust in our things, classify things as whatever is pulling your heart away from the Lord. These things, those things will eventually turn our heart away from God. It's true. Call them idols. So from here, let's work our way through chapter 11. And just like last week, we're going to end up in the New Testament with some practical steps to make sure we are fighting against sin because that's what this boils down to. It's a battle for the heart, okay? And we need to be ready to fight that battle. So let's first look at Solomon's subtle fade. It is a slow fade. When so let's ask that question. When did Solomon sin? Well, if we go back to Last week in chapter 3, we read at the very beginning that Solomon married an Egyptian woman, Pharaoh's daughter. That should have been the first red flag. I didn't make much of a big deal about that, but that should have been the first red flag, that he did not marry a woman from Israel. He married an Egyptian woman, Pharaoh's daughter. God specifically said, you will not take them, you should not, shall not take them back to Egypt. And that's step one. That's where he went. It's a slow fade, though. Now, when you think about David, David had a sudden moment of failure. Right? He should have been out with his men at battle, 
but he was there enjoying a cool evening breezes of Jerusalem on his rooftop. And he looks down and there in his eyesight is Bathsheba. And his heart begins to lust after her. He commits adultery. He summons her presence. They, they have an affair. Then she come up pregnant. Whoop, time to take out the dude. Take, take out her husband. He has her husband murdered. And he's living in this sin. He's living like that was a sudden onset temptation. It presented itself. He took advantage of it. Boom. But that's not what happened to Solomon. Solomon is a little bit different. His is a slow fade away. His heart slowly, gradually turning away from the Lord. You could also think of the temptation that Jesus endured in the desert for that time that he was there. Suddenly, the adversary, Satan, appears to Jesus. One, two, three, he's tempted. He resists with the, word of, the truth of God's word, and then it's done. Although, I think it's a little bit faster than one, two, three. I, I think that is extended time, time period. But you get the picture. Solomon was one after another, but slowly his heart was pulled away from the Lord. But why? I think it's because the dude's comfortable. I mean, look what he's got. He doesn't need a thing in the world. He's got all the money, the horses, the, 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 the women around him. He's, he's, like I said, we might say he's living the dream. He's comfortable. He's following in his dad's footsteps to some degree. He's quite comfortable in all of this. But what happens with comfort, comfort will birth laziness in your heart toward God, and dare I say contempt in regards to the things of God. Most of all, it will cause you to not see your sin as sin. Well, that's the signs of the times we're in, right? We can just redefine everything and make it okay. But you can't redefine the word of God. That's his standard. This is his standard. So here's what we find in Solomon. One, unchecked sin predictably led to a downfall in his life. And it will do so for you. Unchecked sin predictably leads to a downfall. Somebody way smarter than me said Solomon is a case study in the subtlety of sin. Not only did he marry Pharaoh's daughter, as we mentioned, but he married more than one, obviously, because it says 700 wives and 300 concubines, more than one from all of the nations listed, the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. All of those people groups have been antagonists and thorns for Israel from day one, from the time they left Egypt. Not only that, we know there's at least one Egyptian. And Egypt was not nice to Israel. Pharaoh was a harsh taskmaster when it was all said and done. And what happens, though, is that these small sins will add up until you've got a massive disaster just waiting to happen. I liken it to playing spiritual Jenga, if you will. Not, not a little Jenga pile on the table, you know, that you've got like one of those great big ones I've seen around. And the only move Solomon's got left is to pull the block on the very bottom, and it's all going to come tumbling down. Move after move, piece after piece is moved and rearranged until it all topples over. Church, we cannot, you cannot let sin go unchecked in your heart, thinking that all is well and God is just somehow going to ignore it. You presume upon his grace, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer called that cheap. There's another book I'll reference, Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges, and he 
He writes things like materialism and anger, bitterness, pride, unthankfulness, ungodliness, anxiety and frustration, judgmentalism, sins of the tongue. Ooh, there's a big one. He calls those things all a malignancy, and that's a dangerous word. It's a powerful word. We know what that means. This is a malignancy that eats away at the heart and turns you away from the Lord. The seriousness of sin, it cannot be stressed enough. If our life was judged on a test and we went before the Lord with a 99, I can tell you that I've taken a lot of tests in my life and I wish I had scored a 99 on them. My grades would have been a whole lot better. <laughs> Let's not go there though. Um, but a 99 before the Lord is a failure. It's a failure. The seriousness, the weight of our sin. For Solomon, it appears that it doesn't carry much weight, at least at, at this point in his life. He's got ongoing sin. Friend, if you've got ongoing sin, you've got to fight against that in Christ. We'll get there in a minute, but that's where we're going. Second thing about Solomon we find is that unchecked sin comes from a heart problem. You're not willing to check it. You're not willing to call it out and, and ask the Lord to fix it uh, because you've got a heart problem. Your heart is not in tune with the Lord. It's not turned to God. We've got five, six times in nine verses that we read Solomon's heart was led astray. Verse 2, 3, 4, and 9. All of those verses contain this phrase. They will turn away your heart after their gods. Verse 4. Solomon was old. His wives turned away his heart. His heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of God and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Verse 9, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. Just a little insight when you find that phrase repeated in a passage, in a story, especially in the Hebrew, it's important. It's there for a reason. You need to highlight it, underline it, circle it. It's the whole point. It's the big point. His heart had turned away. He's got a heart problem. We read last week in chapter 3 that Solomon loved the Lord, but now by chapter 11, his heart has turned away from the Lord. Instead of loving the Lord, now the scriptures say Solomon loved many foreign women. Remember last week I said, you know, we need wisdom to make it through the crazy. <laughs> the crazy's there. He's in the middle of it. And he's sinking. He could have avoided it by keeping his heart for following the Lord. Verse 2 gives us the direct violation of the word of God. He clung to these in love. That is the sin. He has a heart problem, friends. The... The foreign women that were in his life led his heart away from God just as God said it would. Please don't make the mistake that Solomon did thinking that this word doesn't apply to you and the things that God has said in here will not happen to you. That's the greatest folly you'll ever make. It's not going to happen to me. It's going to happen to every single one of us because God's word says it's coming. That great day of the Lord. Listen. When we talk about sin, it, it is tied to our heart. Sin is tied to our heart. It's tied to our inner being. Jesus taught us that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. So what's coming out of here is coming from in, inward. 
Jesus was pointing to a sin problem in the Pharisees and those around him, the heart problem. The problem we have in the worship things that we experience today. Sometimes we get into arguments over who's singing what and why and all of these things. It all revolves around a heart problem. Everything, it just revolves around a heart problem. And this is what Solomon is enduring and this is where he's at. Solomon has a new love and it's not the Lord. And that's a danger zone. It's a highway to a danger zone, all you Top Gun fans. Look at what James says, that sweet letter of James. Man, I just, it, sometimes I, it's so small and seems insignificant until you start reading it again and you're just like, whew, get me back there, Lord. Here are all those practical steps we're always wanting. Right there in the little book of James, little letter of James. But look at verse 12. Here's what James has to say about this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by the devil. That's not what it says. When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You'll remember the heart is the seat of emotions, the will, our minds. It's what makes us who we are. But do you see the progression that James gives us? It's not God that's tempting you. It's your own sinful desires. My sinful desires birthed from in my heart. Now, we do have an enemy, an enemy, an adversary, and I'm not downplaying him. He does not want to see the church succeed. Absolutely not. But you got to own your sin. You cannot put it on the devil. Don't you dare say the devil made me do it, because guess what? He can't come after you and me at the same time. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. He doesn't have that ability. God simultaneously can hear every single one of our prayers at the same time. It was a beautiful concert a while ago when we were all praying together. And you know what? He heard each one of us all together. Satan doesn't have that power. You need to own your sin. I need to own my sin. It's our own fault. We did it. James says it comes from our own desire, which is a, from a birth in a sinful heart. When you go back to Solomon and, and 1 Kings chapter 11, you quickly see that this is, this is where he was. You can read all of the Proverbs and the great wisdom that he gave us. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon had a hand writing that, you'll see that he classifies all the things that he amassed that's listed in chapter 10. He puts all of that in one basket. He says it's just chasing after the wind. It's all vanity. Hear the word of God, Psalm 16, verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. That unchecked sin, whether it's idols of the heart or something else, it's all leading down a path that will lead to death. The wages of sin is death. That's what Paul says in Romans. 
Friends, there is only one source of eternal joy, and that is none other than Jesus Christ. Same chapter, Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Lord, in, the, in your presence and in your presence only, in that relationship, by grace, we receive the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we look at Solomon, though, Solomon's in heart failure. Moses, led by the Lord, spoke the Lord's command, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart, but that is not where Solomon is. Those words are not in his heart, at least by what the text tells us in chapter 11. We have the same issue as Solomon. His heart was not at all like David's heart. Solomon turned away to other gods. His heart was not true to the Lord. He did what was evil in the sight of God. He did not follow the Lord. So where do we go with that? Well, we have to know that sin is checked by repentance. Repentance. What is repentance about? Well, let's go back and think about his father for a moment, David. In that sudden moment of sin with Bathsheba and adultery and then murder, there's some time before the prophet Nathan comes to him. But in that moment when Nathan arrives, he tells him a little story. And David gets all huffy and puffy, man. He's ready to cast judgment on the guy that Nathan's talking about. How dare this man act that way? And then Nathan looks at him and says, David, you're the man I'm talking about. Did David ignore that? No, he was cut to the heart. His heart was broken. His spirit was crushed. And it led him to repent before the Lord, which we are blessed with in Psalm 51. That is the song of David's repentance. Solomon's sin was persistent. He's in his old age by this time of chapter 11. That persistent presence of sin, loving the foreign women, clinging to them, not loving God, not pursuing God, not letting his heart stay in tune with God, eventually led him to a sin called apostasy. The sin of apostasy is just, it's basically defection, turning away from God, walking away. He left his first love. That's what he did. He left his first love. He begins worshiping not just the wrong God, but many gods and he fails to worship the right God in the right way. Look at the list of gods that he's worshiping that the text gives us. The Ashtoreth. The Ashtoreth was a fertility goddess. Probably had some kind of temple prostitutes around the acts of worship with that one. She's all throughout the Old Testament. There's Molech. Here's a disgusting thing. The worship of Molech involved the incineration of infants. Kamash in the land of Moab. If you were with us during the time of Ruth, you'll remember that uh, Naomi and Elimelech left Jerusalem, uh, Bethlehem for Moab, for the empty promises of Moab and the empty worship of Molech, which always leads to emptiness and bitterness. Friends, if we would just see and understand how vital it is that we root out these sins and little gods in our life that pull us away from the Lord. 
What happens as a result of Solomon's sin? Well, his downfall is devastating, has devastating consequences, generational consequences. If you look at verse 9, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your, your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. You want to know where grace is? Right there at the end. He could have taken it all away, but he made a promise, and he's going to keep that promise. So much here to look at, but quickly, just to know that God knew his heart. Friend, God knows your heart. He knows my heart. He didn't do what God commanded. And when we look at sin, we got to know sin has consequences. There's no way around it. Sin has consequences. There seems to be none more serious than the sin of idolatry. When you look in the Old Testament and Israel gets into idolatry, there's a history that God acts swiftly with idolatry. And he does so justly, especially when his people give their heart and their love to another God. Just like the title of Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, we probably should have one called Respectable Gods in which we call out the things in our life that are gods that take the place of love and devotion to Jesus. Food, sex, entertainment, success, money, achievement, romance, sports, family, sports and family, me, the God of me. Kyle Adelman wrote a book titled Gods at War where he names several of these in that particular work and he states that idolatry isn't just one of many sins, rather it is the one great sin that all the others come from. So if you start scratching the surface at whatever struggle you're dealing with, eventually you'll find that underneath it is a false god. So God, God will raise up adversaries and to put them in Solomon's way. And ultimately the kingdom is going to divide just as God said it would. There will be two kingdoms now. There will be the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel, the southern and northern tribes of Israel. One will go into exile first because they have zero kings that will do what the Lord says. They're all evil. No one gets a good word. And then you've got the kingdom of Judah that goes into exile a little bit later. And they've got, I think, two that have a positive word about them. But this was God's way of preserving the remnant. So where do we go with this? Well, I think what we find in Solomon in which applies to us as a call to fight sin. Wage war against it. We have all the tools that we need. Our Savior has overcome it. We've got a valiant warrior in Jesus Christ who has faced it down with the truth of God's word, and we've got to follow his lead. So we've got to fight sin. We've got to take a stand and fight against the sin in our life and the little gods that try to pull us away. Most people will disregard what God's word says. Or if they're trying to follow it or whatever, they come across something they don't like, we'll change the subject, we'll change the definition. Did God actually say that? That's nothing new. That happened in the garden. 
But it's the secret places of our hearts where that failure begins. So that's the place we start the battle. God's word says in Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not just the warm little fuzzy places of the heart where we like to memorize stuff and forget it and forget the rest, but it's the scriptures that call out sin in our life that call us to repentance. That's where we need to store up. That's what we need to put in there. The verses, the truth that call us to action. Let me share some of these with you. One, you've got to identify yourself. Here's three things we've got to remember as we fight sin. You've got to identify your sin. Before you go into battle, you've got to know. You've got to do some soul searching. Ask the Lord to show you. Ask him to reveal to you what little God or what sin is in your life that he's, that's pulling your heart's affection and your love from him. Ask him to show it to you through his word. And what you're going to find in his word is that he's ready to help you overcome because he overcame. Listen, sin can be hidden. You may not know it's there. But once you start digging, it's not too difficult to figure it out. Ask questions like, where am I tempted? When am I tempted? How am I tempted? We don't come at God like we're his little pet project, right? We come at him as a child. We are his child. You are his, in Christ, you are his child. He loves you and he disciplines you because he loves you. And if he's leaving you alone, it isn't because you're perfect. He is making you into Christ's likeness. He is making you into the image of his son. We are not there yet. Something to think about. Search me, O God, the psalmist says, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the prayer, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. That's the prayer we start with. Lord, look into my heart. Show me what is there. And then when we identify that sin, we in Christ take a stand. We fight against your sin with the truth of God's word. That's what Jesus did. Why would we think it's something different for us? Sometimes it seems maybe too elementary. I don't know. But that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what we need to do. Because in Christ, he has already won that victory. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We fight against sin with the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word is he's calling us to put to death what is earthly amongst us and in our heart. We are not fighting against people. We are not fighting against one another. We are fighting a war on our knees crying out to God, calling out to Jesus and asking the Spirit of God to come to our aid. 
We are called to put sin to death. We are called to walk in the newness of life. But so many people choose to stay in the pattern of sin. In Christ, we are a new creation. That new creation is called and now given the ability, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to live that transformed life. In the light of the grace of God, we are called, we are compelled to follow Jesus. And we love Jesus. If we, if we say we love Jesus, then we're also to contend for the faith like Jesus. We put on the spiritual armor of God. We seek the Lord in prayer and we take a stand against the sin in our life. Sin is no lighthearted matter. It's a serious issue. And as quickly as you've built your own little kingdom here on earth, sin will destroy that little kingdom. This is why we're called to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, not our own. We're not fighting for acceptance from God. We're fighting, though, from our acceptance in Christ. That is the position we're in. We're in Christ. Now I can go forward. If I'm not in Christ, I'm, I'm fighting a losing battle. I got nothing. But if I'm in Christ, he provides everything that I need and his church needs to overcome sin. In Christ. That's position. We're position, fighting from that position of being in Christ. We don't clean up the sin and then come to Jesus. We come to Jesus and by his grace and his mercy, we are able to grow into maturity and to put to death the work of the flesh. So let me finish with a third point. Trust your Savior, not your efforts. Trust your Savior, not your own efforts. There is a tendency to, re to remove Jesus as king and put, him, put ourselves in his place, which then means that my effort becomes the means to an end. My effort's not going to get me there. But in Jesus, that is over and done. He is the fulfillment of all that we are looking for and longing for in our heart. In fact, I'll say it, he is what you too is still out there searching for and haven't found yet. When you look at Solomon's life, his good start, his downfall... I'm reminded of the truth and the goodness of the gospel, that there is only one person, one God, worthy of our trust, worthy of love and faith, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he has purchased every ounce of your sin and the penalty of your sin so that today you could be set free from that and you could walk in a new life. Friends, the answer will always be Jesus. Every hero we read it come across in the Old Testament as we've been journeying through Ruth and Esther when we get there and David and now Solomon and Moses and Gideon and all of the others we've come across thus far. Every hero we read of in Scripture had a flaw, a sinful flaw except for one. Wisdom is awesome. Wisdom is great. We need to ask for it when we're lacking, but that's not all that Solomon lacked. If the wisest man in all of Scripture stumbled, what hope do we have? I told you last week I wasn't asking you to be like Solomon. The only hope we have is a sure and steady anchor for the soul, Jesus Christ. Let's keep our first love, our first love, church. Let's keep our first love, Jesus Christ. And I would ask you this morning, do you love him? Are there places little gods in your heart that are pulling your heart away? Do you love him? Do you trust him for the next step in your life? 
Do you trust him to forgive you of your sin when he draws it out of your heart? When he searches you and finds not just one, but multiple grievous ways, do you trust him to forgive you? Do you trust his promise? Well, that's the first step to repairing that sinful heart. Call out to him in repentance.